My name is Gene Kim, and I welcome you to the Four Prompts on Death podcast, the podcast where we talk about death through the four prompts. I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, and after I die, I want. This week, we sit down with Colin Kurtz. Colin is a 33-year-old teacher, father, and co-creator of Koru Real Wellness in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. I met Colin when I met his business partner, Diana Pereira, a previous interviewee for the podcast. During this conversation, we discuss Callan's Catholic upbringing and how a trip to Scandinavia opened his eyes to the wider world, the years spent during his hippie commune phase, and how a rabbi became his elder mentor. Before we talk a little bit more about Colin in this fun conversation, um, you know, maybe we won't talk about my long forms because I haven't been doing them a whole lot, especially during this wacky uh, time of the corona. Um, but you can go to my website, eugenehkim, uh, to find all of the previous interviews as well as all of my writing on medical education um, for the first three, four years of medical school. And that is eugene, E-U-G-E-N-E-H dot K-I-M. So back to Colin. Colin is excited, very present, and comfortable. Before Colin dies, he wants to know he has contributed enough. When Colin dies, he wants to be conscious in a pleasant way. After Colin dies, he wants to allow for whatever is to happen and for most people to exist in a way that is mostly pleasurable. And in conclusion, Colin says, I firmly believe that the potential for humanity is extraordinary and we haven't maximized it. We've barely even scratched the surface of what's possible for us as a species and as a global community. I agree, Colin. Uh, this was a fun conversation. Uh, it was, you'll hear it in, during the thing, it was, uh, took us a long time to schedule the interview. And then even when we did, we still had a little bit of a time crunch because we were like, oh, Colin had a a client coming into Coru for uh, personal training and we just wanted to make sure that we respected the client's time. So we, it was, I Listening to it, we didn't sound rushed, but I could definitely hear, especially when we hit the when I die prompt, that uh, Colin was definitely starting to lose that presence and be aware of like, oh, I need to be ready for that person coming in. And I was doing a lot of work trying to keep him present, especially because we were talking about some really stuff, some really tough stuff for him that I could tell he hadn't been thinking about. And if I allowed him to keep wandering his attention, we wouldn't we wouldn't stay on that topic of like the non-negotiable things that he wants for his own uh, death process. Um, and I think this was a really interesting conversation. Collins lived a lot of lives. They, like I mentioned, he went through a hippie commune phase. Um, we talk about his Catholic upbringing and how, uh, how he went away from it, but now he's returned to his Catholicism and with the help of a, an elder mentor who is a rabbi. And, you know, it's, it's, he's a, he's a, he's a very interesting fellow. And I think that he's lived a lot of life, but there's also a lot of ways in which he's, um, you know, he even mentions it too, like the privileged nature that he has or perspective on death and dying because he's hasn't been around it very much. And he's only had a few examples in, of, of people who have gone through the dying process um, to act as like a guide, whether positively or negatively towards what he wants for his own experience. Um, I think we get into some fun stuff like, um, you know, he, he has a very modern family. He, um, you know, he has an eight-year-old son who, ha- you know, his parent, uh, uh, Colin, is separated from uh, Griffin's mother. Um, they weren't together for very long, and they're, you know, co-parenting him. And uh, Colin just got engaged to uh, his partner, Ari, and uh, who I don't think I've met yet. Um, 
and just like the process of trying to be parents in this weird world where we're, you know, yes, you're a mother, but you're a stepmother, but you're also a mother. It's just a wacky thing. So, um, that, that I think is an interesting conversation as, as well as the sort of like, um, the events leading up to Griffin's birth, um, as well as just, he's got some interesting stories and, um, I'm really looking forward to checking in with Colin again, um, going down to, you know, Koru Real Wellness more often than once a year. <laughs> I think that would be pretty nice, a pretty nice start. Um, and yeah, I think it's just, this was a really fun conversation for me, um, just to poke Colin in way, way, weird ways. Um, that's what I do. That's my fun, that's the funnest part of this podcast is to poke people. Um, yeah, I hope that you are ready for a really lovely call conversation with Colin Kurtz. And actually, while I have you, um, let me just look up. I forget exactly when I interviewed Diana, um, but that was a really fun conversation. Um, I really enjoyed myself. Um, and for, just for you know, um, I released that in 2019 back in July, um, Diana Pereira. And that was another really fun one. Um, and it, you can hear the difference between the two of them, but you also... Um, you can also hear the ways in which that they complement each other's skill sets very well. Um, so again, um, I hope that you really enjoy this lovely conversation with Colin Kurtz on death. All right, so it is December 21st, 2019. Uh, I'm sitting here with Colin Kurtz in Coru Rural Wellness in Doylestown, Doylestown. Doylestown. Doylestown, Pennsylvania, and we're going to be talking about death through the four prompts. Colin, what are the four prompts? The four prompts are, I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, after I die, I want. Excellent. And how do you finish that first prompt of I am? I am excited is what comes to mind, uh, primarily because we've been trying to do this <laughs> so long. for a long while yeah most of the year mm -hmm. and we're we're doing it and it's a good day to be doing it and I'm, i've been feeling and it almost looked like we weren't going to pull it off at the end then. i'm so glad we did <laughs> so i'm excited i am excited mm -hmm. yeah it's been a long uh yeah like uh i i we barely met a year. We met just a little over a year ago. Yeah, and this is like the second time I think we've seen each other in person, right? Second or third? Third, because we met December, I know the dates because of our open house, 16th <laughs> last year. Mm -hmm. And then you came back the next time. Oh, yeah, for the interview. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Yep. And then here we are. And, uh, yeah, this is the first interview I've done in, like, seven months. So this is all, like, oh, yeah. That long, wow. Yeah, okay. it's been a little while. So it's, like, sh you know, shaking off the rust a little bit. But it's good. Like, I'm, I'm glad because, we, we, like we said, we've been working on getting this made for yes. quite some time. So you're excited. Mm -hmm. What's something else on that list? Hmm. Uh, without overthinking it, I feel very present. That's nice. I don't know. Uh, I'm thinking that's sort of a silly answer. It sounds kind of ridiculous when I say it, but it's true. I feel <laughs> mm -hmm. very present. Um, I'm comfortable. Uh, we're sitting on the floor, which is nice. Those chairs are nice too, but the floor is nice. And we're drinking our, uh, we're both drinking mushroom matcha lattes. Mm -hmm. And they're delicious. And they're delicious. And we just had a nice sauna. So I'm very comfortable. Mm-hmm. You're good. Yeah, the space that you've created here is a very nice, wonderful space, the one that you co-created with Diana. Um, yeah, and like you said, like you've been saying uh, this whole morning so far, is like it's still it's still evolving. You're still figuring it out. But it's it seems like, you know, uh, the whole thing of like the seed needs to die for the plant to grow. You know, mm -hmm. like this is like the, like you're sort of figuring it out. Like there's molting going on and there's stuff being like put aside. But 
I think all for the greater purpose of what you guys are trying to do here. It's pretty cool. Yeah, well, the word Koru, as you know, part of what it means is growth. And I think we set ourselves uh, almost sort of however you want to look at it, um, subconsciously or spiritually with the mission of <clears throat> personally becoming able to consistently stay with the process of growing i.e. living <laughs> or in you know translation living and uh, i think the ways that we weren't doing that have showed up and been majorly challenged made to the major challenges and yes i can see now a year later i am very present to how we just are we're never going to stop with that evolving and the shedding one layer and going into another form and of course that you know this room's changed a lot but in general of course that's the that's the uh process that we put ourselves in that's the path that we created for ourselves and like oh yeah no no shit that's what we're going to be going through <laughs> duh that's how this is going to be mm -hmm. what are some of the ways in which like what is something like a very like tangible uh, describable thing that you feel like you've shed or like a process of that painful growth that you're like oh that was a pain point that I didn't realize I had that have been so many um, I, I used to I know when I started this and at the beginning of the year I'm talking about in the sauna excess the ways I've been excessively maybe accommodating and passive mm -hmm. that's something I've had to look at and I've really, I, I see now a year later, I'm glad to mostly, if not enough, let go of that. I think I'm more, I'm a little more balanced in how much I'm accommodating, how much I'm mm -hmm. willing to essentially put my needs or the needs of others that, you know, that I'm clearly that I, I need to prioritize a second to other things and other people. And yeah, that that feels so much better and that's you know some people may translate that as just getting better with boundaries but mm -hmm. i think of it as in the context of excess and i can see that i i certainly have a past of being excessively accommodating and going with the flow and things like that and i've definitely changed in that respect mm -hmm. that's a big one that's like a big general theme that i've noticed throughout the year and I feel pretty good about it because I think, you know, the other excess is obviously, you know, no, the, the general point about excess is I've paid more and more attention to it is that's never, to use a appropriate word here, uh, where to land and it's sort of like shooting, you know, don't should yourself and don't um, paradoxically. You shouldn't say, you should never say no to should. Well, mm -hmm. excess has its place too. It's just not too much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that's that's my personal th thematic journey for sure. Mm -hmm. So you are excited. You're present. What else is on that list? Hmm. I'm grateful that you schlepped out here. They <laughs> <laughs> um, made it a a heck of a lot easier for me today and way more fun. Uh, and generally just grateful for you. I wish you lived closer. I think we'd have a lot more fun more often if you live, didn't live over an hour away, which doesn't sound far, but in, of course, in the everyday and the realities, and especially being parents, and you're a parent of a five-month? 
13 months. Oh, jeez, I was way off. Oh, Sorry, were... time passed. I <laughs> he was five remember. months. Yeah. He was five months old. He was at one so. point, yeah. <laughs> five was a random guess. Um, wow, yes, you've been a dad since we met. Right. So the realities, yes, of uh, being fathers, you know, of course, an hour isn't the same. Mm. You know, I've my fam- A lot of my family lives in Philly. And, yeah, sure, we'll see each other regularly, and that's an hour away. And they're not parents, but we, yeah, we figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our worlds definitely are not as close as I'd like them to be, because every time you're here, it seems like you're really, you're, you're having a lot of fun. It's fun here. Yeah, yeah that's good. Me. It's meant to be fun here. <laughs> my mom used to say my middle name, my middle initial is F, and uh, she always said I was Colin Fun Kurtz. <laughs> So that's something I hope is true. I hope I've become more fun over the course of this year. Yeah? How how have you become more fun? Um, well, I'm very serious about play. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I guess as an adult and definitely a parent, you have to be. Um, if, you were, if you're going to find balance and not get excessively caught up in, again, any of the possible excesses that you could get caught up in like excessive seriousness like excessive playfulness even um i guess just as a where i've landed i feel good about just how i am these days and i get a lot of fortunately i'm blessed with good feedback that i yeah i am pleasant and i guess i'm fun enough Mm -hmm. and i think i know when not to be fun that that's that's obvious stuff though but like uh except with my son he probably thinks i'm not as fun as i should be how old your son eight eight years (laughs) old very soon to be nine and so like i guess what are some ways in which that you have maybe uh, in like practiced or enjoyed play with your son when he was eight versus when he was seven seven and eight don't strike me as dramatically different eight and and seven um strike me as dramatically different uh from certainly three mm-hmm. I, I actually came across remember the ice bucket challenge yeah i came across facebook kind of just threw it back at me this year because it was five years ago apparently this summer and um i did it with him my friend tony you know put my name out there and so when I did it, Griffin was right next to me. Mm-hmm. And three-year-old Griffin versus eight-year-old Griffin are so different. Just the appearance, the mannerisms, the sounds. Mm-hmm. And I miss that kid, for sure. Um, that that video really captures how, how much fun he is, for sure. He's such a little ball of mm-hmm. play. And I guess the... Hmm. The, the differences are obvious in, in those respects, but seven and eight, I don't think there were so many. Seven, most of uh, the differences over the last year or two have been marked by just navigating how he's adjusting to school stuff mm-hmm. and the, the new context of no, being normally in school. Um, he's in third grade, but it still seems like the main distinct, you know, distinguishing detail over the last couple of years has been just starting school and getting more socially comfortable and having, mm. you know, prior to first grade, it was very different, for mm. sure. <laughs> so the main difference has been from that point on, I'd say. Mm-hmm. But, like, getting back to this Colin Fun Kurtz idea, like, what are, what are like... You've, you've talked a lot about generalities, it's a good but, lighthouse like... lighthouse for me. Yeah, yeah, stay fun. <laughs> yeah, stay fun. But, like... 
how, like how like what are like what are some like practices that you've done more frequently or ways in which you can tell that you are you think that you've been more fun over the past year than you have been um I immediately think of Ari my fiance Ariana and I won't jump to that completely but just jump to I it. think it's fun <laughs> I'm I don't think I have a practice except well actually the one from last night is probably relevant but come back to that I don't know if I have a practice as much as I just you know I've said I said in the sauna I think our primary um, barometer for success with people is just catalyzing awareness do they feel more aware of something mm-hmm. about themselves in particular you know aspects about identity and reality than when they walked in and if that's true and if that's true consistently I see that as success and of course so Diane and I and anybody engaged with Koro has to essentially have that practice for themselves of just primarily being aware mm-hmm. staying aware and I guess I don't make a distinction between at this point in our lives because I'm not Griffin's age and never mm-hmm. will be again mm-hmm. uh, being aware and not being aware mm-hmm. and I find joy in the awareness and I think what I mostly need to monitor is just getting caught up in, like we all do, too much straining mm-hmm. and too much effort and holding and tension and any of that. Any of those sensations are the, they knock me off course from being aware. And if I can generally feel at ease and in a playful mood when I'm aware, and just having fun with that awareness, mm-hmm. then yeah, as long as I don't give in to the tension and the, the tense, the tension creating, uh, you know, <laughs> array of uh, distractions and possibilities, then I can stay pretty fun, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, I, and Ariana, for sure, definitely is a good gauge for that. When, uh, when we're at our best, we're just, it really does seem like we're just you know, clowns. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just total jackasses and clowns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's one of the good modes. Mm-hmm. And so is that, I guess, is that relationship something that you feel like has fostered that, like, call and fun curtain? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, that's exactly right. For sure. Mm-hmm. Which is a major distinction from previous relationships. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So she's great in that regard. She's a barrel of of fun. And we know we're learning how to be, of course, serious and adult, if you will, together. And that's mm-hmm. obviously important. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of serious shit. Yeah. And, like, how has the whole... Pro- like, it's it's been six months. Um, like, how has the process of... And, and maybe this hasn't really started, but of co-parenting with somebody mm. who is you know, not Griffin's biological mother, right? Right, right. <clears throat> well, I've attempted it before, and never have I gotten engaged, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and the main uh, tricks that Ari brings to the table is um, her parents are divorced, so she's seen it as a child, and mm-hmm. so she has that awareness. And she's just a generally very patient and um, easygoing person and loves children and loves all things uh, 
childlike and, and innocent, if you will, especially with animals. So she's pretty natural. She's kind of a natural with it mm -hmm. for mostly, I guess, those reasons. And, and by choice, she, she makes the choice to be engaged. Um, been very easy, to say the least. Everything with her. Mostly has been easy. <laughs> Mostly, <laughs> I don't want to say it's just some. Yeah, there's obvious mm -hmm. reality that sets in at times, uh, and we navigate that. And the fact that we can navigate all of it so well is why we're engaged. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't sound like she's bringing like the whole like. There's a very like modern family aspect to. Well, that's inevitable, right? Yeah, yeah. But like, hey, that's inevitable, and yeah, any. Any single parent. Exactly, yeah. right. And, uh, I mean, is she bringing any any new family members to, to you guys? A dog. A dog? <laughs> How old? Her son, if you will. Mm -hmm. Fur baby. Her fur baby. Dash is, soon. I think he's going to be five soon. Mm -hmm. Forget his birthday, but yeah. Okay. Almost cool. five. Very cool. And so... Really cool dog. Yeah, what kind of dog? A Carolina dog, they call him. He sort of looks like uh, Shiba Inu, okay. like Japanese, I think, Japanese mm -hmm. breed. Um, shape of a border collie, just that classic, if I say dog meme face, does that mean anything to you? Yeah, yeah, the Shiba, yeah. Yeah, yeah and this very, very classic dog face with the, you know, the normal wolfy kind of snout and mm -hmm. eyes and everything. Um, so fairly quote unquote normal looking dog as opposed mm -hmm. to okay yeah no not being a dog dog racist if you will <laughs> he's a good dog did you have a religious or spiritual upbringing to your childhood yes that, that came that one came out of left field I love it. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah extremely I was raised Catholic mm -hmm. and primarily through my mom um, she was the practicing Catholic. And I've got two siblings, older brother, younger sister. We were all raised the same way. Went to Catholic school until college. Mm -hmm. And I was extremely... I think they would agree with this, my brother and sister. Um, and it's continued this way. I was extremely engaged with it, in a way, I think, more than them. Mm -hmm. And When do you feel like that engagement started? Was it from the very beginning, the like very as long as you can remember? Yeah. yeah, I've actually been talking about this with Ari recently, uh, especially because I, I've started to accept an aspect of my identity as Catholic. I don't say I'm Catholic. I don't even pretend to relate to Catholicism mm -hmm. in its current form or Christianity, but on some of the more important levels, I identify, and those would be ones that are not so obvious, of course, but I identify with being Catholic. Um, and I don't think they would say that. But I, yeah, I guess what that means is I, as a kid, we literally would observe, again, very young, like Griff, at Griffin's age already, we would observe the reenactment of uh, the crucifixion mm -hmm. every year, annually, in church. And... I related to everything that I was being shown by virtue of my parents mm -hmm. uh, as reality. So the original programming that I was given, or the original um, structure that I was given, 
I never questioned it. I was just, this is reality, this is the world, this is it. And eventually, of course, like anybody around 16, I realized, oh, this is just a bubble. And mm -hmm. that bubble popped. And I, of course, went through all kinds of existential crises and mm -hmm. realized that what I thought was reality wasn't, et cetera, et cetera. But for those first, that first forming, that first period of my life was definitely just eating what the information I was being given and mm -hmm. creating my programming with that information. And this is reality. Mm -hmm. Ta-da. This is what's real. This is the world. This is truth. Mm -hmm. And what was the process of, like, around that 16 years old of questioning and moving away from it? It was very straightforward. I took a trip with a... It was the summer after 9-11, actually. Okay. So 2002. Um, and that's important because the trip was supposed to be somewhere more Mediterranean. Mm -hmm. It was a, a school trip with about 40-plus other high school students mm -hmm. from the Philadelphia area. And we were, we needed to go somewhere else. They were concerned about mm -hmm. going to those areas. They were mm -hmm. worried, well, the, you know, Paris is potentially too much like New York. Who the hell knows what's going on? And we went to Scandinavia instead. Mm -hmm. They figured out a B plan. <laughs> and, and I don't know if it had to do with Scandinavia or not. Like the trip may have resulted in something similar no matter what. But I really think Scandinavia had a lot to do with it. Was this your first international travel as well? This was the first trip. Yeah, the big point is this was the first trip without my family. This was the first. Mm -hmm. It was an all-around first experience that I identified as like hedonistic. And there's no responsibilities. It was mm -hmm. like a complete shift from anything prior in the sense of this is, this is a... This may be freedom. This Is this freedom? Either way, this is very different... And I'm being, everything is being shaken from this. And there's no denying there was some serious sexual uh, liberation taking place during that trip. Mm -hmm. So the, who knows if Scandinavia had anything to do with it, but I do relate to being in Denmark, Norway, and Sweden. And one particular thing, which relates to what Core is about, is really catalyzing a shift. Um, but yeah, that, that trip in general. Mm -hmm. And the sexual liberation that was part of that trip. Definitely when I came home that summer before starting junior year in high school, I was extremely shaken. I couldn't mm -hmm. connect with anything again the same mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. And then how, so how long did it take before you came back to now where you're saying you identify strongly with as a Catholic? That's fairly recent because of my mentor. Um, he's actually a rabbi, but he's a very unique rabbi. He's not uh, not Jewish in a, a way that I've ever imagined when I if I were to ever be with a rabbi. He's more just about mentoring you to be you and, and sort of figuring out what that means for every individual. And for me, that definitely there's a need to respect Catholicism as Mm -hmm. and the, uh, as part of my upbringing, part of my heritage, part of my story, and there's obvious value in it when you really mm -hmm. are willing to strip away the the craziness. There's value. There's value in everything. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of seeing past the excess. So I identify with it only really in the last maybe year. Okay. Yeah. So there, that leaves like what, like, like fifteen church. years. Yeah. 
Huh? I went to church, and that was a big part of it. Oh, okay. But that leaves, like, what, like, 15, 16 years of, like, that trip to Scandinavia to two years ago where you started going back to church, right? So, like, what was yeah. that? What was going on there? A lot, yeah. Yeah, and I don't go to church regularly at all, but there was a... He, my mentor, um, encouraged me to go, I think, yeah, it was last year in 2018, and that definitely had a very very important effect mm-hmm. so I, yeah um let's see from 16 though yes till till now there's been a lot the main period though i would focus on for you know from a just biographical standpoint is actually um 16 till 26 that decade because becoming a parent changed everything mm. became apparent as a 24 mm. year old yeah the you know, the story started to take a, a dramatic turn from there mm. of course so that period of 16 to 24 26 um was mostly about trying to figure out how to uh get grounded i'd say in the world um <clears throat> and Finding, yeah, little little success here and a lot of failure there. Um, trying to get into some of the specifics. I, for a while after that trip to Scandinavia, that's when I started to just fundamentally question the values of society. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This, and that's a pretty predictable, I think, question for somebody in my... In my um, with my upbringing and my kind of, uh, the opportunities that I had available. I didn't have, I wasn't struggling for, to survive. I was basically just free to observe and think and, and wonder about things and explore. Mm -hmm. I was given all that's, I was pretty rich in that way. So I started to just wonder how really valuable is the world as it's been presented to me. And so a lot of those years was, was honestly about how to, not just change it, but eventually for a couple of years, had to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Like I tried to escape. There was a very clear three years, essentially, where I was trying to escape. Mm-hmm. And you can't, for the record. <laughs> <laughs> At least not as I could tell. I don't think you really can happily or healthily. So I, I you know, it was sort of like a little... Um, and there's no pride in this comparison, but it was a little bit like a Chris McCandless kind of experience. Okay. The Alexander's, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a little like that. And I learned a hell of a lot, and a lot of what I learned is still totally relevant to who I am and how I am today. Mm-hmm. But it all changed when I eventually realized that I need to, and how I realized it was pretty cool, but I eventually realized that, yeah, I've got to figure out how to be part of the world as mm-hmm. it is, and society as it is. Mm-hmm. And that what, came what, around parenting. So, sure. like, what, would you give me, like, a short, quick story about an example in which you were trying to... Escape? Yeah. Yeah, we went and lived in a village of teepees out in the middle of... Oh, away from society in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um I, it was my commune phase. I was I lived on various hippie communes. I, okay. I For how long? <laughs> like, what was the longest stint you spent on one, in a specific commune? That's a better question, because the, the whole chunk of time was a couple of years. 
the longest stint of time was about a year on mm -hmm. one commune in Virginia. But I was on, I was at an ashram in California. We were, like I said, we were living in a teepee. And at this point, the teepee was a we because it was with Tracy who was, we were pregnant with Griffin at the time. Um, so that, yeah, those, there was a number of years there where I was trying to figure out whether or not I can even be part of society. How can I mm -hmm. get out of it? Is it, what are the options really for me? I mm -hmm. can't quite figure this out, which was really unpleasant for the record. Like, well, why? <laughs> why is that? Because it's so, like, if I had had some guidance... I bet that whole time period would have been a lot shorter and a lot, I would have suffered a lot less. Mm -hmm. um, and like to, what, what kind of suffering did you experience? Right. Um, probably a very unifying kind of suffering, which is just, can I really belong? The question is the mm. nagging question of can I really belong as myself? Mm -hmm. Can I truly be myself in the world? Mm -hmm. And not getting clear, positive answers at all enough in mm. that. In respect. all those different communities that it sounds like you went, you bounced around a lot, and it yeah. sounds like. I mean, if you were bouncing around and you only spent a year in one place, you didn't really find a, a good, you know, like, no, ah, this is obviously it. not <laughs> successful in that particular sense. Mm -hmm. Like the whole thing about like... It wasn't a general sense, but mm -hmm. yeah. There like was you, you can run away, but you still bring yourself with you, right? Yeah, like totally. That. That's why it doesn't work. Yes. So the whole act of escaping is inherently f futile. Mm -hmm. We all know this and, you know, with your... Um, focus on psychology in general of course you know this and by the way ayahuasca was a really relevant part of that time and i know you was that about that yeah. <laughs> well i it was in 2000 i think i hinted at something about like how 10 years ago like, mm -hmm. a lot changed and um so yeah 2009 when i was uh 20 almost 24, I was 23, yeah. Um, I had been invited to an ayahuasca ceremony by two people, both of whom I really respect, and one who was apparently doing, drinking ayahuasca regularly. He's, mm -hmm. He apparently has drank ayahuasca, drunk ayahuasca, like close to 100 times at this point. Mm -hmm. he's, he's my age, our age. And he, allowed, he did live in... Peru for a while. He may be back in the U.S. He's married with a son, too, and I bet that changed <laughs> the world for him. Changes things. Yep. Um, but not dramatically. He's still, I can tell, essentially the same person. But anyway, he invited me, and my cousin invited me, and after saying no, or eh, maybe some other time enough, like for many, many months, I eventually said yes. And I said yes uh, to a ceremony that was on April. It was the whole weekend of Easter in mm -hmm. April of 2010. Okay. And that also was my birthday. April 4th is my birthday. That was literally Easter Sunday. Okay. And on the 3rd is when this ceremony was. And that I was already in that stage of 
I wasn't, of course, consciously trying to escape, but I was in that phase of wanting to create a new path, a, another path, blaze my own trail, so to speak. Um, and when I drank the ayahuasca, a lot of things happened. I've only drank it once. Mm. That was enough. Mm-hmm. Sometimes uh, you can put the phone down. <laughs> you can, you don't it was it. enough, man. Yeah. I became a father because of that. That's mm. the, the real nuts and bolts of that experience. It's, there's a lot to it, but I had a vision of becoming a father from drinking the ayahuasca, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I would have become a dad otherwise at that age. Mm-hmm. That's when that's what happened. I drank it, and a lot of things happened, but the most important one was I had a vision of becoming a father. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that's what happened. Mm. <laughs> But it sounds like it was then two years before, like he, you really, like it really, well, he really came around, right? Well, as you know, it they cook in the womb for a bit. They cook a little, <laughs> they cook a little while. So we, uh, Tracy, I told her about this vision. We were not a couple. We were, we were definitely not a couple. But she was part of the vision, and we talked about it. And um, yeah, within right, a week and a half of that vision. Griffin was, <laughs> was cooking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was very intentional, very deliberate, but still, um, I don't know. I don't really think a lot about it anymore, but I guess the, the fact of the matter is I wouldn't have ever, I don't know if I ever would have, or at least not as quickly had the kinds of realizations I had about needing to just accept the world as it is mm-hmm. uh, if I wasn't a father. I don't know if it would have happened ever without that. Mm. So sometimes I, if there's any kind of medicinal value, so to speak, or like, um, uh, however you want to relate to the ayahuasca as, as having a teaching, yeah, I don't even know, like whatever kind of autonomous control it can have on you I guess if there was one the one way to look at it is that it created a a path for me to find balance Mm -hmm. which I'm still creating and sustaining but it might not have happened otherwise Mm. and so it sounds like that uh you know that you had you were born and then you had that trip to Scandinavia and that was the whole so so like taking the red pill you know where you're like everything you know it's not that you've been lied to but that what you've been presented is not everything and then you not kinda, even close not even close like a very small smart <laughs> and then and then you kind of shake things off and then you're in this like ah mode for like a decade and oh, then yeah. and then this experience is another like shaking where you're like yeah and within that decade i actually have repeat kind of reminders that this isn't the whole story and you're kind of like like, there were two additional repeat, probably some would say traumas, mm-hmm. that helped continue to catalyze that that suspicion that I've got to like look elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I also graduated from high school, graduated from college, so it was also from an outside point of view like normal looking. Mm-hmm. And then I went to the freaking I did the freaking Peace Corps for you know I tried mm-hmm. to stay on a normal path, mm-hmm. but it wasn't gonna happen it was obviously not gonna happen mm-hmm. I needed to go and try what I tried I needed to see 
what was possible. Because you needed the you needed both of those yes. to in order to be here. Because if you had just got the one, you'd probably still be in an ashram somewhere, yeah. doing who knows what. Or if you didn't, and if you didn't get the other, you know, it's like you needed both. You need both. Both and is essentially my guiding philosophy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you know, yeah. right? I do know. You know that really well. Yeah, both and. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to a college professor who planted the seed for that, that wording even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the either or. I think, in general, the either-or attitude is is why we're mm-hmm. suffering so much. I really think that's the essence of the essential kernel for our unnecessary suffering. But I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're getting there. So the, you, had, you, you became a father um, uh, very quickly after this experience. And then what, you know, what, what was the next eight ish years to get you back to, into the church, into the, it, at, at this point where you can make this community koru. Um, yeah. and then this relationship with this individual, you know, you can go into it in as much detail as you'd like, but like, it sounds like it was a very abrupt start and then you had a baby you know this whole and then you were but you're still living in a teepee oh with <laughs> Tracy, yeah Griffin's like there's all this yeah. whack you know there's a lot of story there right oh yeah yeah and it's not i don't think it's a very interesting story it's um not one that i think we would tell identically mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> very fair and we're good today we're, mm-hmm. we're we're pretty good she and i we co-parent mm-hmm. and we co-parent well enough um that's all you need. We're going to continue to grow and learn. But, yeah, I don't know if we would tell the story the same way. I doubt we would. But to me, the, the parts that are um, important are, especially for Griffin, just mm-hmm. knowing that it was completely deliberate. We explored, um, and he seems very, very good. He, I don't ever get the impression that he's struggling with, the reality of his his world, mm-hmm. but I certainly imagine it could change. Of course, in adolescence, so I prepare oh, myself. Yeah, those, por- yeah. those hormones, man, they, they change a lot. Yeah, and one of the biggest factors just is the fact you know Tracy's literally nineteen and almost twenty years older than me. Mm. Yeah, so there's going to be some kind of I suspect unless he's as miraculous and ayahuasca baby as he you know as i once thought he could be mm-hmm. <laughs> he's gonna wonder about things and want to know and i guess i primarily just organized my thinking around it so that he knows everything was on purpose we were on a journey together <clears throat> and we deliberately eventually said okay it's time to do this differently um, he of course doesn't know about need to know about the drama and the fighting and <laughs> believe me there's a lot of that there was a lot of that uh, but I think these days we're primarily doing a pretty good job so kudos to us I, I guess I am proud of that but it's taken years many many years seemingly years mm-hmm. a lot of wrinkles a lot of wrinkles yeah really. and you can smooth them out as much as you want but you know they're still you know the, you know <laughs> So wait, let me let me let me put it. That, let me without you know, going into detail. But like, how long was, how long were you two together for? And then how long did we basically weren't? Okay. And then how long? How recently did you two get to this point where you you feel like you can co-parent together reasonably well? 
Yeah, well is the key, because we've been doing it for a while, but well is the key. Um, it's, I'd say, really only been about two years of fairly well, and mm-hmm. even really less than that in some respects. Mm-hmm. So school's been a major piece. The reality is there was just no structure. We didn't have structure, and it was just more excess. Like, even though we made dramatic changes and we came back, we, we stopped the whole commune stuff and all that jazz, we was still there was still tons of excessive tendencies and residue from yeah there was still a lot still to learn mm-hmm. so the suffering wasn't done and mm-hmm. it wasn't uh the learning wasn't finished <laughs> yeah, and, I think that's a good yeah. One. And, yeah yeah back to excess back to boundaries all that mm-hmm. i don't want to gloss over anything it's all it's all fair to talk about for me i don't have any i don't think there's anything i'm uncomfortable talking about it's really i just don't know if it's that yeah, the details probably aren't. Details aren't just that, important. that important. Not, I don't think so. Not to me, at least. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess, in the like, it's just like this whole like this whole idea of this very modern family where, uh, like, how close is how physically close is Tracy? You know, like how uh, like ten minute drive. So yeah. Just, yeah, very close. So we it's just, always live very close. To yeah. Each other. Be, because of this boy, hundred percent, yeah. And that's such like he's the gra- he's like the gravity well. He's like the sun, <laughs> and you guys just force, you know. And that's yeah. that's the experience that I've had with my, you know. It's like we moved back from the various locations and communes. We moved back to this area because of how when how before his born well. before his birth or after his birth, well after we moved back here in two thousand twelve. Okay, um, because of yeah filial gravity. Mm-hmm. My family's here. And mm-hmm. and a lot of Tracy's as well. Mm-hmm. That you were saying about no, and the, well, it's just like yeah, my baby, my baby pulled in my the grandparents all from yeah. all all around the world, all around the country. You know, they they just like, and then you know, it's just this whole thing. They just change the center of the solar system very yes. much. So, yes, gravity is gravity is real. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I wouldn't be around here if it wasn't for the relationships and the people. Mm-hmm. I don't see. I don't think I would. Yeah, you never know, but or we don't know now. But I don't think I would be. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then, what what changed? Was it was it this men, this rabbi mentor that you're describing that he really kind of like what what about the last two years has been so different? And I know like Cora's mm-hmm. been go, uh, in you know in the oven for a little while before <laughs> the grand opening. But like, was that was that all kind of coinciding together? Cora's been in the oven the whole time that uh, this whole journey that we've been discussing because a lot of the um interest in like i said in the sauna community has been the foundation and mm-hmm. uh, like it, probably again that yearning to belong which i think is a good desire i think it's an extremely healthy desire the mm-hmm. opposite of that i think is extremely unhealthy <clears throat> again excess um, so Cora has been in the oven, so to speak, for many years, just in different forms, and none of them have been as successful, and I haven't been able to manifest them the way that we've, we have been able to manifest this one, which is probably because, well, there are a number of reasons, but one of them, this is the first time that it's been a real business, mm-hmm. and this one has been anchored and rooted in the realities of society, unlike the others. The other versions of this from like 23 to now have been 
much less grounded in reality, to say the least. Mm -hmm. So reality is important to me. Understanding reality is important to me. And, and remembering your exact question is important to me. So (laughs) (laughs) you were, repeat the question. Well, it just sounds like that, like things, there was a turning point after the birth of your son. Oh, but like yeah, yeah, rabbi, the rabbi. Yeah, like yeah. rabbi, and then like going back to church, and like sounds like also getting on a better. Well, on, the best up, part about like the, the rabbi is having uh, that acknowledgement that you're you're okay. I've never had a mentor before. Mm-hmm. I've never had anyone. I love my father. My father is a beautiful man, and he's not been. He's not a teacher. He's not a mentor. Mm-hmm. I don't think he would say he is. I don't, I don't think he'd disagree with that. When do you think you realize that? Because I think that's a, a hard, you know, a hard oh, one to figure out, right? Pain in the ass, yeah. And I very much relate to how I'm parenting with that awareness. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to guide you as much as is relevant. Of course, there's a limit, but mm-hmm. I am definitely here to guide you. And then I'm not, but mm-hmm. I am for sure, and I'm recognizing the responsibility for that. I think that probably, you know, I don't think I became aware of it until I was certainly a father and Mm -hmm. well into parenting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just recognizing Jesus, there's been no elder in my world. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So the rabbis literally just been the first one. And the first, one, the first one certainly as a parent and the first one that has made sense. And I think people have attempted to fill that role before and have filled that role unintentionally, also unintentionally, like teachers and mm-hmm. um, yeah, people have come and gone. Like they're, 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 their relationships are a product of the context. This relationship is a true, like, we are... Uh, teacher student and that's for life mm-hmm. yeah so how'd you meet him just by being in the same place at the same time mm-hmm. um where i was coaching before here i mentioned the soul break club he was a member and he saw my bio and two things stood out to him one was the uh degree in religious studies that's mm-hmm. my bachelor's and feldenkrais so being a rabbi and generally, of course, interested in religion, he thought, well, that's odd. Plus, it's odd because this is technically a health club and that doesn't necessarily fit. It's not mm-hmm. obvious to the public why that fits. And Feldenkrais is a very, very specific methodology <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and offering and some and very specific tool to be uh, connected with and to be aware of. Mm-hmm. And so he wanted to meet. So we met. And we just started talking. And I didn't take to him right away. I thought he was a pain in the ass for a while. (laughs) (laughs) There were a number of things that I didn't like at first, for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I eventually, but I was, yeah, really, I kind of knew that I was in over my head in a lot of ways and needed help and needed guidance, but. And so what was that? Just wary about accepting it from. And then what was that realization or that process of like, this might be the guy? Yeah, you know, it it came and went. It came in waves. Like I accepted and I was like, yeah, that's enough. 
And these days, today, I'm pretty, I'm probably, if not a hundred, at least ninety nine percent accepting mm-hmm. all the time. Um, so it wasn't immediately. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, everything's great. Let's do it. Let's yeah. get it all in. There was give and take. Um, the process took a couple of years to get to where we are now. And I guess as we're talking about it, I'm realizing just how fundamental that must be for everyone to have. Like mm-hmm. to, it's not just something like, yeah, oh, that's cool. You needed that. That's good for you, Colin. It's like, no, I think everybody, everybody really would mm. be better. <laughs> <laughs> the world would be better with that if that was one of the normal structures for mm. sure. And I don't think that's just for men. I bet that's true for women. It seems ridiculous for it not to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. I mean, as somebody who is still actively, not actively searching, but actively waiting for somebody to come into my life, that I wasn't and, searching. You know, I was not consciously searching. And I'm just like, I know that this is a gap for me, like, because it's yeah. you know, it's just. But it, I know that if I put, it's just gonna. Well, you've attempted, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. To catalyze it with peers mm-hmm. and and men's quote-unquote men's groups i think you you know mm-hmm. are yeah and but it's I, a different thing it's a different thing i've seen yeah um but i'm, I'm looking for like that mentor elder like that's yeah. that's a very different you know because and, and so like let's pivot from here because also i know so there's the community of koru but then there's also the community <laughs> that you're building with within this area with the with that men's group right and like what has that process been like yeah and i'm I always footnote it like, you know, men's group. You've heard heard me say this before. Only because to me that implies from when I've seen it. Unfortunately, I've I've mostly seen men's groups as being mostly serious. Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't know about you, but the world and my personal life, if I'm not careful, is already serious enough. And it's not to negate that or ignore Mm -hmm. that or be Pollyanna about things or just like put on blinders. But I believe it is imperative that men know how to just have a fucking good time together. Mm -hmm. And And not uh, in the way that is like giving each other shit all the time. No. Like a real, like a real lightness, not like a, you know, like, like a real, like, just let's just, let's just do this. Like this doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to. It can just be nice. Things can be nice. Exactly. And that it's so not obvious what that means and how to how to allow for that is obviously not normal mm-hmm. and cannot be forced. Mm-hmm. Um, so the men's group model that I've, you know, quote, you know, the normal men's group setting as I've seen it is all about this is good. And th- I'm not saying this isn't valuable. It's again just it, I really think both are important, and if I pers- in my um, diagnosis, it's nice, to, it's nice to have multiple flavors of ice cream. Exactly, my diagnosis <laughs> of the the normal consistent challenge for men is that there's certainly value in in crying and looking at your quote unquote shadow and knowing, of course, how to deal with your feelings, but. It is also, and it is really, really important for guys to know how to be comfortable having a lighthearted good time together. And yes, not at the expense of each other's um, self-esteem or self-worth or health, of course. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
None of that's... It, there are other models that we know. We know because we grew up. We were kids once. Unless we had a really traumatic childhood, we knew that. It was instinctive. Mm -hmm. But then we all got really hurt mm -hmm. <laughs> in various ways. And uh, there was no model or no um, uh, normal structure to go and, and handle that pain with an elder or with each other. It was something that I think a lot of us lost along the way, especially in this country. Mm. And all of that, I think to you, is pretty obvious, I, I suspect. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's good to, it's always interesting to hear somebody's like take on things. And um, like what, I guess what I'm, what I'm curious about is what has the process of developing this kind of group done for you personally? It's a major um, piece of security and focus. Um, just knowing, it, it's just about having friends. <laughs> <laughs> Again, back to my father, I realized well enough, long enough ago that, and he's admitted to this in the last year, I think it was this year, we had a, a really breakthrough moment together, an incredibly beautiful conversation. We went and got uh, a meal together and the conversation was just fucking beautiful and he basically I think agreed that yeah he, he really could benefit from having a group of dudes to be lighthearted with mm -hmm. and he's 70 now and um doesn't get easier as you get older doesn't get easier as you get older <laughs> but I think a lot of the this is where somatics becomes really fascinating and, and the psychosomatic part in particular and I don't think you have to get into some sort of like spiritual or metaphysical language with it, but I think a lot of men have heart problems because of not knowing how to feel and being able to share their feelings. And you have to have people with you to do that. You have to have other men in your life to do that. Mm -hmm. This seems pretty straightforward. So, mm -hmm. um, I, I, yeah, it's good for me and it's good for me to be able to stay focused on it. And I, I, you've seen the emails. I don't care what we do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just about being together. And sometimes if people want to be together in a more, um, formal, serious kind of, uh, worky sort of way and emotionally working on something, a particular challenge, that's great. The, the real point is that people get to just know that there's support out there and mm -hmm. they're not in it alone. Yeah. I see a lot of men who are clearly very lonely and, and alone with their, their struggles. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And even if they're engaged in those other kinds of quote-unquote men's groups, it seems like that's still... Yeah, it's a very blunt diagnosis. Like focusing on your problems too much is not the only. It's not the only good way to be with each other. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and so I think we've covered a lot of good ground. Um, Are we done? <laughs> <laughs> not quite. Uh, now we're getting good. So that's the thing. Is uh, is there anything else on that list of I am before we move on to the next prompt of before I die? I want. Um, when we were talking, when I brought up both and, I, I was tempted to say two other things, and I guess just, they're nice little, yeah, um, you know, details for the footnotes. 
one of those additional traumas, if you will, I was 20, uh, I think it was 20, I was in Mexico. It was, um, I was in college and it was the summer after sophomore year. Mm -hmm. And, um, we took a family trip down to the Riviera Maya. And of course I couldn't just stay on the resort. I had to wander off the resort mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, I think people, I've heard about other people having similar experiences. I went, I didn't even go that far, and I could see, like, the next resort along the shoreline. The coast there is very rocky. It's basically just a bunch of boulders if you've never been. And so you kind of, it's really fun to boulder it, basically. So I went for a while, and it was a lot of fun. It was kind of like running, and mm -hmm. it was play. And, but eventually, all of a sudden, boom, there was these, I think they were Mexican military, and uh, they pointed their guns at me. Um, and nobody was around. It was just me and these three guys. It's very clear that a gun was pointed at me. I think that had a major effect uh, in terms of like, being able to continue to focus on the path I was on. So that, that was kind of like a second Scandinavia th component. Mm -hmm. um, just realizing what that like force can be aimed at you? Is that like... Yeah. Um... That like you could be on your own doing your own thing, but then this like what like what was the what was the what you what have you what when you reflect upon that experience, what do you take away from this? The takeaway is just that there's it, it I probably haven't unpacked it fully, like you I guess that's what you're kinda of helping me realize. But what I have the way the way I have linked it is it reignited it was almost like it reignited for the first time since that Scandinavia trip, mm -hmm. the sense that I gotta get out of this. I gotta get away from all this. This whole thing is just fucked up and it's a mess and I, I need to either fix it or figure out how to make it even a little bit better, which is a good impetus to some extent, not the fixing, but the, you know, progress is important or get out of it, like get away from it, like, mm -hmm. get away, get away, get away. It can it just re catalyze that impulse mm -hmm. again mm -hmm. it, that whole impulse had sort of quieted down mm -hmm. and it brought it back you needed it every couple of years right <laughs> it came back and it, yeah there was a third one again but either way that's what happened yeah um and the other thing that i thought of a moment ago was uh did you ever read um u2's autobiography i did not do you like u2 i liked them yeah yeah, I like the Joshua Tree and the Octum Baby a lot, and the poetry of those that era in particular. And if you want to, you know, I would read about some of the songs from that era if you like those albums. Mm -hmm. With or Without You is literally what we're talking about. The song With or Without You. Mm -hmm. You mentioned how it's got to be both. Well, yeah, there's no way and he's talking about Bono's talking about it from an artistic standpoint but I think it's also just a reality standpoint there's no way to healthily be a human and certainly a, probably a man um, but probably a human without what seems like the tension between getting just going full in one way and full in another way you've got to bring them together and I think a lot of what I was trying to figure out was how to do that for a, a while. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's actually what the song is about. I can't live with just the one or without. I can't have one without the other. I gotta have them both. Mm -hmm. That made me really like 
on the line. <laughs> He's also a self uh, self proclaimed asshole, and I'm not saying I am, but it, it was comfortable to read that. <laughs> comfortable to read that. Gotcha. Um, now at this point, you think you're ready to move on to Before I Die? Yeah, I can write in it. Well, how do you finish? So how do you finish the next prompt of Before okay. I Die? I want. <clears throat> before I die, I want to. What I immediately started to think about was the word contribute or know that I've contributed enough. I guess it's the uh, knowing that I've contributed enough. That's the. Those are the words that come to mind. And so, like, uh, in your in in your head, like, what is enough? Right. That's obviously what I'm wondering too. <laughs> <laughs> is it like only something you'll know like after the fact, or is that something you can know now, like with any? I don't know. That? Yeah, that's. I don't think I could answer that one. I think probably both though. But finish your question. Because it's. Um, you know, it's like, there, there are a couple aspects to it. Like, I understand the sentiment very strongly. Like, I'm not, you know, I, I think that it's clear, but it's also very much of like, a, you know, a, what gets measured gets managed, right? Like, so like, if you, like, what are you contributing to whom? And then what is enough? Like, those are, those are like the three like levers and like, yeah. you know, like how, how do you, how do you even put those into buckets? And how do you, how do you say now as a, as a 33 year old, um, what would be enough? to the 89-year-old version of yourself. Right. Um, that 89 number is going to be stuck <laughs> in my head. <laughs> um, I'll, do, I'll be able to footnote or to delete it. But I think of it in, I guess I often do this, general terms and specific terms. Um, the general question, or the idea of enough in a general sense is, <sighs> the wording here is, very specific. Um, suffer. I, I think the question of suffering is obviously very old, and there's no need to unpack Buddhism here. And <laughs> it's not even about Buddhism anymore. It's just this global philosophy that some people have about well life is suffering or there's inevitably suffering in life okay well how much and I guess the general sense of contribution for me is have I if we as a species are suffering excessively mm -hmm. I simply want to know that I've contributed to the normal amount of suffering being only what we need as a species hi airplane as the human animal that we are believing I, I believe that we are unnecessarily suffering excessively right now it is excessive I believe it could be better in that fundamentally and of course general way mm -hmm. and knowing that I've contributed to that shift is the general mm -hmm. piece and on the flip side, you could say, well, maximizing the possibility and the potential for us to enjoy being alive and being home and here, as I said, on Mother Earth, maximizing that potential. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of contribution that I'm generally thinking about. So specifically, and I think that that matters um, in the same way specifically, and it's all about awareness. It's all about education. And the only other specific, the way that it really becomes specific is just targeting people, my <clears throat> children, assuming there will be more than one, um, 
my partner, Ariana, and my close circle, and then just spreading out from there, just knowing that I've contributed in that general way to the specific people in my world and whoever else I can touch. That's kind of it for me. This, mm-hmm. the, the way that looks is very unclear. I have ideas, of course, that are pretty deeply rooted at this point um, about society and about how I can help shape society in a different way. And I don't pretend that they're more than ideas. It's just what, you know, it's the information that I bring to the table, but it needs to be mixed in with everything else. Yeah, but as long as it's that's that's kind of the barometer, I guess. Like mm-hmm. the, I believe fundamentally we are unnecessarily suffering as a species, which is to say, it's excessive. No matter what your philosophical bend is, mm-hmm. your ideological bend is, it's excessive, and I think it's inherently unnecessary. And I want to know that I've contributed to some progress in that way. So. Um of course starts with me it starts with you <laughs> but now so that's that's like i think a very great way to frame it for like this distant you have a couple good decades of work ahead of you way yeah um but what about in a more that's tangible generous, thank you yeah. right like let, let's say you have a good couple decades of work ahead of you that's great and i think you're that's a very good direction to go towards but what if what if you were to be diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor in two months like, would you have felt like what you have already done is enough, not what you will do? Oh, God, I hope so. Of course, that's... Knowing that that is obviously a... Like I said, that mission, if you will, or that that desire to know that is, at this age of 33, pretty deeply rooted. Like, it's mm-hmm. literally been there for enough of my life at this point. It's, it's my programming. Mm-hmm. It's... You know, I may have had a similar answer a long time ago in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, like I have been who I am for a while. Mm-hmm. I feel, of course, nervous about the, about the, about the idea, but the, I feel fairly comfortable. And I, of course, I wonder about, you know, I think it's important to wonder about your own death from time to time. Maybe not as much as you do, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kidding mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I wonder about it I think enough and yeah keeping yourself focused on whether or not in this moment you've done enough you are being who you want to be of course staying present to that is totally necessary I, I feel good about where I'm at I know what I need to work on yeah I feel pretty good you feel like you've made that contribution enough? Enough that, wait, hypothetically, would I die peacefully? Yeah, like, like in like three days, would, do you feel like towards Ari, towards Griffin, towards this dog baby that you have? Like, yeah, right. Like, have yeah. you done Parents, enough? Parents, siblings, friends, mm-hmm. etc. Yeah, there's really no hesitation, hesitation to say yes. It's just kind of a funny thing to be able to say yes to so, so easily. I think that's why I can stay true to this mission without getting caught up in the the destination addiction, I think, is a real thing. I think it's an endemic issue. I think it may be, again, part of the general endemic social 
I think it is, again, the either or. It's the same kind of problem. Destination mm-hmm. addiction is just another um, way of highlighting this general problem we have as a species right now. And I, I do generally think I keep a pretty good eye on that. Yeah. Because otherwise it'd be exce- I'd be excessively focused on the results all the time. Mm-hmm. Which aren't possible. Part of what we I remember we talked about and talking about destination addiction. I think a major component of what keeps me sane is knowing there's never, like logically, there's no ending to anything. I think knowing that, or at least believing that, you once you start to accept that, I think it's inherently liberating. Mm-hmm. And that's another way of saying things that people have said for thousands of years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ask it again, though, if, if there's more to say on that. No, I think that's good. It's, uh, you know, at this point in the interview, I like to start poking people in ways that I can tell that they have not been poked either recently or in quite some time. And I could tell right. that was a question that you hadn't been poked in a way. But I think that you're, right. you're, you're relatively earnest responses yeah i think so but it's uncomfortable is a fair one well yeah um you know i have life insurance so i'm not worried about the finances mm-hmm. <laughs> for griffin and ari um yeah I, I think i've got you know i know what needs what where there's tons of room for improvement mm-hmm. i know and i know that i'm gonna find other major rooms for improvement and that's a big part of what this year has definitely been about mm. um especially from a, a professional standpoint mm-hmm. but yeah I, I sleep well right mm. i mean everything in some level can be measured by you can always tell like if you sleep well or not mm. like, that's a good indication mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah unless you have a baby that's a dolder. Right. <laughs> I de- but I, yeah, there's, there's a conversation to be had there. Because it's not a fault of the, the respective parents, I think. The fact that parents go through such hell is definitely a reflection of some of the stupidity of our way of organizing ourselves and the unnecessary mm-hmm. suffering that we in- inevitably then go through and mm-hmm. take, you know, experience. There's so many things that don't seem necessary. And yes, that kind of hellish, sleep-deprived state that people just expect to be in, is that's nuts. It's nuts. It's nuts. The two-parent, one-child, or multiple-children model is broken. Absolutely. It was never... It never worked. Never worked. And yeah, the word work is such a great word. What does it mean for something to work exactly? Mm. What does it mean? That's exactly right. And... So much. You know, that's the same as what does it mean for something to be functional? Mm-hmm. All of these words that are increasing. You know, functional is more fashionable, but the same thing as work. And I, I think it translates the same way in other languages. The verb to work and the verb to function. I think are oh, almost. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong about that, but they're nice in some way. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, and duh. <laughs> like, yeah, of course. And so much of what we do and say, well, that works. No, it doesn't. It depends on the context. And you've got to really start to think about that. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, I would want you, anybody, to think about that differently because your acceptance of this state is... Well, your idea of what's working is... I don't agree with it. 
say that. I'm not sure I see it. I don't think it's the same. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, you know, obviously not you, but someone hypothetically. Mm -hmm. And that's a perfect example because that's a totally normal thing. Of course, it's been normal for how many? Couple, how like, many? Couple hundred. hundred at most. Think? Yeah. Yeah. How many generations? Like almost ten generations. Yeah. I think that's a fair like. Yeah. It's not long. Not long in the history of our species. Not long, but we take it to be totally normal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Have you heard of like the shifting baseline theory? No. It's this idea of just like the the baseline in which a generation grows up is assumed to be the historical baseline. Ah. And so like the one of the clearest examples of this is like looking at uh, like separated by 10 years photos of proud fishermen standing by their catch and you see like 10 like a, a fisherman now versus a fisherman 10 years ago like the fish was just were bigger you know and they were just equally as proud of it but like the further you go back in time the bigger the fish used to be and so our idea of what a big fish is now is totally affected by what our parents thought were big fish and what we grew up with big fish you know and like that can be extrapolated to how much nature how many, how, what is an appropriate amount of birdsong to hear, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah, and so okay. that, that's why we think this is normal, but it, you mm -hmm. know, historically in 10 generations ago, was it? <laughs> right. Oh, gosh. And yeah, I, I talk around, I talk about normalcy all the time, I think to an extent that it does, sometimes people do wonder if, I don't, I don't think I've ever offended anybody using it, but I've been told that you got to be careful using that word because of certain sensitivities, but, um, our sense of history, unfortunately, is not even shared. So to even be able to arrive at... Yes, you can, of course, look at historical context from when photographs, mm -hmm. like during the sense of when photographs have been available, but to some extent beyond that, we are less and less connected to any sense of history mm -hmm. and certainly not a shared one of course as a result so the, the silver lining to that is to me the idea of normalcy can be completely flushed and thrown <laughs> away and it, it does provide a relative blank slate which we maybe need I hope we can navigate that intelligently though as a species because I do think that the questions or the idea of normalcy is basically done or dying <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah is there anything else on that list of before I die I want <laughs> hmm there's a really big one that just flew out I saw this beautiful fox last night too mm. um No, no, I don't think so. That seems like... I guess it's tempting to try to imagine some sort of bucket list, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is tempting. <laughs> but none come to mind, though. So I'd be forcing it if I... Yeah, I'd have to really like think about it. Mm -hmm. There are places I want to see, of course, and... It's not obvious, though. No, I don't... That's and I, it's not like I've had an extraordinarily crazy life I've things I've done but I 
There's a lot of things that could be on that bucket list that I, I'm not thinking of, though. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I'd be forcing it to say more. That's fair. That's <laughs> fair. All right, so how do you finish the next prompt of when I die, I want? When I die, I want. This is probably the hardest one, right? A lot of hard ones. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of hard ones. When I die... Yeah, because I immediately get into the language here. Like, okay, when I die, I want... Well, could I... I mean, it's a total fantasy to say that I'll be able to want, right? So... <laughs> Is it? I don't know. That's what I'm asking. Exactly. Um, it's, it requires me to just speculate. So... Hmm... I guess I want... Yeah, it's hard for me to not unpack this one, like, just the question it. of it. Yeah. Unpack it. I, 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 there's either, well, there's no more con- um, consciousness in the way that I'm used to it now, or there is. Mm-hmm. And so do I want, which one do I want? Do I want there to be, or do I not want there to be? And I think it's both. I don't, it depends on the state that I'm in when I die at that stage, like, whether it's 89 or 209. Yeah, that didn't get a, that didn't get a reaction. <laughs> um, it depends, because maybe I'll be in a really groovy state of consciousness that I would want to sustain. Um, so, but on the other hand, there's obviously the possibility of a state of consciousness that I can't even imagine. So I guess when I want when I die, I want to be conscious in a in a pleasant way. That's what. That's the answer. When I die, I want to be conscious in a pleasant way. Are there examples of deaths that have formed that desire? Um, whether you have seen people close to you or not close to you die in a way that you're conscious in a pleasant way or not mm, in a pleasant way? That's a good question. Sure, I've seen people die and, and the, the parent state they're in is, again, one of just unnecessary excessive suffering, yeah. Yeah, I think that's unfortunately mostly what I've seen of people who have died Mm -hmm. um, from old to young. I know people who, of course, who've killed themselves. Um, Yeah, I don't... I've not been... Yeah, and I also, I guess, I know people who... They were sick, though. They got sick, and they were definitely suffering on some level from that. So we were talking about Blue Zones yesterday. Um, blue zones are, do you know, okay, so blue zones are, uh, well, the blue zone is a phrase that's, I guess it has a few decades of history to it. Um, it's a phrase that's, I don't know the whole history. I'm reading a book about it. So when I'm done it, we can talk about it again. (laughs) I've been studying it sort of tangentially for a few years and essentially it's just a phrase used to just categorize places where people seemingly are living or even maybe objectively Mm -hmm. the longest and health and happiest Mm -hmm. they're they're both it's longevity and quality of life Mm -hmm. coupled together not one without the other it's both of them Mm -hmm. and i bring that up because i am guessing having never been there having never seen it but i'm guessing those people that die are not normally dying the way that we've seen people dying like mm-hmm. the the obvious oh gosh the terminal illness the sickness the deathbed thing that mm-hmm. we can certainly relate to and obviously they're also normally not killing themselves so 
what I imagine their state of consciousness to be is the closest thing that I can, uh, I guess, desire. <laughs> so it sounds like you have not seen a death that you would want to emulate. Not with my own eyes, no. Only, only in my imagination, yeah. Mm-hmm. Only in my imagination. I've seen lives I like, though, and I've seen some lives I want to emulate and taken a lot from people mm-hmm. on that, in that respect. Mm-hmm. But no, not a death, yeah. And that, that, that to me is almost like the ultimate elderhood, is showing how do you, how do you go out well. And that's, that's, what, I, you know, that's yeah. what I'm searching for as well. Yeah. Um, my rabbi, yeah, the mentor I've been talking about, the rabbi, he has talked about death in ways that I think are really helpful and jarring, but mostly helpful. So that's the, that's getting closer to seeing it with mm-hmm. my own eyes. Yeah. He, he says things that could just seem crazy and provocative and then, but they're not. Give me one. Hit me with, hit me with a hot one. Um... Well, I haven't said his name, so it's okay to refer to this, but he's talked to... His wife is, is pretty... pretty ill. But not in a way that she's going to die, in a way that he's acknowledged, like, we may... Like, they've said, like... You know, suicide's on the table. Mm-hmm. And he said it in a way, it's like... He's literally laughing. Now, that could look, without knowing him, like, you are fucking nuts, and that is fucking disturbing but um it's not fair to make that judgment mm-hmm. the more you know can't relate to it in the sense that i know what that kind of thinking would be like but you can't i can't judge it the same way i would have if i now that i know him and the situation mm. have you ever been in the presence of the transition from life to death? Not, no, not the exact moment, no. Uh, I've certainly been present to somebody who's really close. I've been with people who are extremely close. Two consistently have been coming to mind during this conversation. My dad's mom and um, the wife of the guy who ran, basically ran the ashram, or sorry, the community in uh, Virginia where we were. His Mm -hmm. wife got cancer and was clearly dying the whole time we were there and died not long after we left. Um, So those two are the main examples that come to mind. And But I didn't technically see my grandmother take her last breath and I didn't see Laurel. Yeah, I didn't see it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what were those experiences like of seeing that so close when the, the when the barriers are very thin? My grandma, her, you know, what I perceive as her consciousness was pretty, pretty gone, pretty decayed by the time, like the last time I saw her, you know, living, so to speak. Um, and it was, it was all around shitty. She was in a nursing home. It was the best that everybody could do. Um... But she she wasn't really there in mm. any familiar way. Laurel was though, and she she was just she was just dying. She was literally on her deathbed and just decaying and had cancer. 
she was just counting down. You know, it was just a matter of how many more breaths does this woman have. But she was very present, though. So I guess that's the closest thing to a graceful death that I, yeah, am, I've been present to. And on the other one, it's the kind of death where obviously, yeah, that's that's why people joke, like, no, I'd, I'd kill myself beforehand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, or I'd want you to kill me before putting me in that situation. Yeah. Is So with you wanting a... I forget the exact phrasing, but like a, some level of consciousness or presence during the experience of life to death. Um, is that one that would be acceptable to you? Either of those two? Yeah, more no. or like Laurel. Right, one. yeah, Laurel. Where um, she's cognitively there, but from a physical standpoint, wasting away. Right. <sighs> I, you can't know that. Because who knows what other kinds of perception she has at that point like where I am now if I hastily were to just if I didn't if I were to just hastily say anything I'd be like hell no mm-hmm. but if you think about it a little bit yeah I'd hope to have the the calmness and the patience and the the the, the grace to yeah take to just let things mm-hmm. shift the way she did um I'd hope I think that was probably a fairly uh, selfless way of going about it, I suspect. Yeah, I guess it would be a question of what's selfish, what's too selfish in those in that's, that setting. And that's what we're going to start digging into. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what are those priorities that you have? Well, this sucks. We're going to have to pause soon, too, though. What? Don't yeah. worry. Don't, <laughs> don't think too hard about it. I got the eye on the time. Don't you worry. Uh I mean, I guess what, this will what, be part one, huh? Yeah. No, no, don't, don't worry about it. Don't worry about Cause it. Because you, you said 1230, right? Maybe. We'll see when they walk in. We'll know? see when we yeah. walk in. So let's dig into it then. Yeah. We got the time. Yeah. What is the priority then? Like what, you know, because you, you could have a stroke that wipes out all of your left side. And, right. you know, and you're still able to breathe. You're still able to talk, sort of. You're able to read. You know, I could just ask them to come a little, like 1230. Wait a little bit. Okay. Let's 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 dig into this and then we'll. All right, go for it. I'm present. I'm listening. What what is the priority? What is the priority again? For you, yeah. What is the priority for you? What what is non-negotiable for how you would want to experience that transition or the last bit of your life? Oh gosh. Um. Hmm. Being able to communicate. Yeah. How with your words? With your voice? Yeah. Yeah. My vo- uh, so if you lose the ability to talk, is it is it game over? But you're no, able to walk. no, it doesn't have to be voice. I guess being able to the three come to mind, and I, but I think you got to have at least two of them. Um, <clears throat> move hands and arms, which could mean writing, but it also could just mean touching, touching. And seeing, like being able to express and communicate with my eyes. Those are the other two in addition to using my voice. Mm. Um, those three. Either one, two, all three. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, I'm like, well, which one could I not have? Like, could, if I could have, yeah, I think you got to have two of those, right? Because I could manage with at least two. Of, I could manage with just two of them. Like, if I could just 
touch and use my eyes, but my voice was shot, that'd be okay. If I could, if my voice was there and touch was there, but I couldn't, well, that'd be silly. I mean, that's inevitably gonna, I guess the eyes are gonna go with, uh, if I was blind, unless I was blind, of course. Like, yeah, that would be okay. And then if I was, if I was too weak, I couldn't be like, paralyzed. That wouldn't work. I couldn't be. I have such close. a tremor that you can't even communicate with writing. You but know? I could still, with my eyes and my voice, I suppose that could be enough. Yeah. It seems like it'd have to be two of those. Two of the three. Two of those three. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's uh, you know, so I'm in the hospital right now. I'm on the neurology service. Mm -hmm. And I see these things taken away from people all the time. I bet. And so that's why I want to, you know, right? Because these are conversations that you need to have before you have them. Yeah, I, you know, the obvious potential. I'm guessing clear deal breaker is I don't want to be hooked up to anything, mm -hmm. um, like for any amount of time. That's the thing, right? <sighs> yeah, that's the thing. That's what I, I mean, sort of just selfishly say without obviously unpacking it further, but certain, I don't know how long would be acceptable. It's not uncomfortable to even think about, honestly. It's just like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Like, tubes and all, and the, the machines and all the, Getting the dependency, the obvious yeah. dependencies. Like, are there milestones that you would want to reach? Like, would it be, you like, if you were to get into a car accident tomorrow... Well, the only other thing that I'll interrupt you just to point mm -hmm. out that is so damn obvious is that it obviously all of this fuels my... In part, it's one of the motivations for staying so damn in control. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which is a more... Uh, it's one way of saying healthy, but it's also about control for sure. But go on. That's what I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so that that's the thing. It's like, what level of control are you willing to give up? Because you're gonna you're yeah. slowly yeah, gonna be yeah. stripped away from. Well, you. I guess that implied I was willing to give up walking, mm -hmm. right? I guess that implied I was willing to be primarily stuck in bed. But yeah, I don't know about it. like, am I willing to give up having my ass wiped, like, or being able to clean my own shit mm -hmm. and Would feed you, myself? Yeah. But would you willing to be willing to experience that for the sake of seeing Griffin have a child? Right. Probably. But that's such a such a specific context. Right. I suspect so. And that's the point. Like I don't pretend to... I'm 33. However wise or stupid I may be, I, I can't freaking know what it's like to be a grandparent or someone who's on... Uh, in a different phase in a marriage or a career or mm -hmm. has a kid that's gone through uh, who the hell knows but is certainly just older I can't know mm -hmm. you can't know just like that person can't know what the potential their future holds so I think there's a major realization here that I um, and it is fun I don't I honestly don't feel any discomfort thinking about it but I really definitely don't think about it a lot <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it sounds like your mentor is and he is grappling with it in a way yeah that he's in a not. whole different phase of life he's older and his wife's they're both older and his kids are 
more my age. And mm-hmm. yeah, he, he's closer to 70 for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he definitely is. And yeah, it, I'm not suggesting it's not good or that it's good that I don't think about it. It is, or that I don't think about it as much as I could. Like I, Back to that word. It's enough. normal. What is enough? It's normal not to think about these things. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, most of the norms I do think are um, detrimental and, and have um, limiting effects on us right now. So that one, yeah, that's probably another limiting normalcy. Yeah. Yeah, and it obviously is a function of not being around or a result of not being around elders. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a very, as I'm unpacking it, it's obviously a very. This is going to require a bigger unpacking, I suppose, but it's a privileged ignorance, right? And the key excess that I also hinted at in the sauna, to me, the key excess, not just of our country and our quote-unquote society, but our species, is that individualism. Individualism kicks ass, of course. <laughs> Autonomy matters. Um, one thing I learned in a hippy-dippy, that hippy phrase is that solitude and sovereignty really fucking matter. But I believe fundamentally that we as a species have become so fucking attached to this idea of individualism that it's really distorted our notion of freedom such that we think that path is the path for freedom and it's not i'm declaring that it is not i'm not saying it might not be it is so obviously not that type that idea of freedom is so wrong it's fundamentally wrong mm-hmm. and so yeah i because that's been my experience i can speak i'm calling it a quote-unquote privileged Ignorance, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't. I didn't have to see my grandmother. I, she was tucked away somewhere. Um, yeah, and that's normal. That's yeah. it. That's normal. Yeah. So all of that being said, I guess I realized that I would rather be just letting letting it happen the way it happens for the sake of everyone else mostly and hopefully I'm old enough yeah maybe 209 maybe 209 yeah it's a good number <laughs> so um 89's just so damn young yeah <laughs> 89's too damn young yeah well you'll see when you get there you'll see, you'll see how young you feel when you're 89 right so, um, I think we covered a lot of a lot of good ground in that last one. Mm-hmm. Uh, good. What do you? So, how do you finish this next and final prompt of after I die? I want. Mm. <laughs> <clears throat> after I die, I want. I'm just repeating it. Yeah, I. I'm very aware that I definitely spend. I put no time into thinking about this, <laughs> and I think, and I think that's on purpose. Um, I remember we, I took a course back in college called Life After Death, and with that, and with so many other uh, 
lessons from directly studying and just living, I, I usually find myself thinking that there's just no point in trying to even, of course, figure it out, but even, even imagining it. Um, so I need, I'm, I'm, this is, I think what's happening right now is I'm realizing I need there to be a, a purpose to figuring this one out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for better or worse, maybe I'm excessively purpose driven. So, uh, after I die, I want to trying to weed through all of that Catholic stuff, all that Christian stuff, all of that. Judeo-Christians, actually there's a major difference between the two of those, that's so not the same. After all, all of the stories, trying to mm -hmm. weave through all of the stories and just like, mm -hmm. just, um, I, I, it's tempting to put the word allow in there. I want to allow for the next, I want to allow for whatever is to, to just happen, but that doesn't seem true. I'm not sure that's the truth. <laughs> I don't know if I believe that. Is that what I really want? <clears throat> so what I'm hearing is you struggling mightily with this idea of what happens to Colin after he dies. Is that, is that a fair way of saying it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, so let's so, kind of, yeah. The other one about, um, before I die, I want, uh, or no, sorry, when I die, it's the same kind of struggle about consciousness. Mm -hmm. And so let's take, so I, I hear the struggle and I think that's fair, especially with this re this very recent reintroduction into a religious or into like a more formal religious, you know, context, yeah. but like, let's take the ego out of it. And what do you, what about, what do you want for the people? What, what does Colin want for the people left after his death? Oh. Hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like you can want it for yourself, but also what do you want for everyone else left? Oh. <laughs> God. So egotistical. Uh, after I die, I want for others to um, be able to, back to that um, before I die point, uh, to be able to live on this planet uh, with the appropriate amount of with um, I'm trying to figure out how to say the suffering and joy part that I was saying before the struggle and joy with with ease and with the amount the level of the ratio of uh, <laughs> of <laughs> Happiness and contentment and, uh, yeah, uh, values that I believe could be our norm and I believe our, our human 
potential, I believe it is our human potential to be aware of existence in a way that is inherently pleasurable. Yeah, to be aware of existing in a pleasurable way. I, I want for, uh, for most people, if not all people, to be aware of existence in a way that is pleasurable. And to experience existing in a way that is pleasurable. That's what I want. I think that's, that's true. Yeah, that's true. I think that's true. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, um, you know, I am aware of your obligations. And, you know, I'll ask two final questions before we wrap this, 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 all, this all up. Mm -hmm. First question is, uh, what do you think about the far future? Like 10,000, 15, 20,000 years from now. Like, what do you, can mm. you even imagine that far? Have you ever thought about that far in the future? I have, yeah, primarily, although I think Star Trek wasn't set that nearly that far. <laughs> far primarily from a more Star Trek y kind of standpoint. Um, you know, it logically makes no sense to imagine humanity existing in the same way, but I want us to. I don't easily give in to or, or just say cool to ideas like, oh, humanity's probably going to evolve into a whole other form. Like, oh, I think I think I like our form. I think we have a lot of potential in this form. I'd really like us to maximize the potential of this form before we just say, oh, well, another form is going to happen. And that's, I think that's a really, I, that's a very disconcerting notion that I've seen a lot of people give into, especially as of late, um, almost like a, as a way of dealing with primarily climate change, so to speak, which I hate that phrase because it's so the, the political roots are really frustrating. But the fact that at the very least we know sea levels are rising, I don't know if there's a whole lot more we know beyond that, um, or that we need to even, there's that hawk again, know beyond that. But that is obviously happening, and that is obviously going to have some major uh, effects and many of them are uncomfortable and I, I hear a lot of people just trying to think their way into a state of a sense of security and, and acceptance by saying that humanity oh you know we're we're probably just needing to evolve okay Well, I don't feel ready to just say this form is done. I like this form, and if it can be around for the next ten to fifteen thousand years or more, I think that sounds cool. Let's let's look at it that way. Let's let's get into a more <clears throat> let's get into the journey here. Um, we came up with we've come up with so many amazing ideas, and they're they're all theoretically. I think they're all possible. Like, let's go. Let's let's focus on that. Um, so I'm at, yeah, I think about the future in that way and I hope we can move in. I hope we can unify with that mission, honestly. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And yeah, if humanity evolves into a new form, which theoretically makes sense, cool, but not because we've given up on this form. I don't like that. <laughs> I like that. I like that. And um, we've talked about a lot of things, and I've poked you, I think, appropriately, <laughs> the appropriate amount. 
Oh, um, you could have poked so much more. I know, I know. That'll be part two. Don't worry. We got okay, uh, good. This, so uh, you know. Hopefully, we'll sit down again. Hopefully, it won't be as hard to schedule it in the future. <laughs> but, no, it won't or maybe be. we should start scheduling it now. Who knows? <laughs> I think we we will today. Yeah. Um, but uh, I want to give you question, right? Yeah, this is it. Yeah. This uh, I want to give you the floor. Well, this is not not really a question. It's more of a I want to give you the microphone, uh, metaphorically, to speak to whoever's listening. Um, in the future, whether it's whenever I release this or whether it's, um, you know, 10 years from now, Griffin is 18 years old and heading out into the world on his own or whatever, you know, whenever he does that, or maybe it's uh, 50 years from now when you are on that deathbed or maybe it's 209 years (laughs) when you're on your deathbed Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, people want to hear about what you thought of these things, um, at the age of 33 Mm. or maybe it's just a stranger who's like, Oh, core is pretty cool. And you know, Colin's pretty cool. I want to hear a little bit more about him. Um, But I want to give you the floor uh, to address the audience directly. Thank you. Okay. I have to do it quickly. (laughs) (laughs) I first, uh, I've been thinking, wow, there's so many things that I imagined we would talk about and we didn't. And it's great that they're going to be there for the next time. I, I knew I had some questions about similar interests that I wanted to explore and, and some of them around public figures, some of them around that experience I had yesterday. I was curious about what you'd say about the science of what I experienced with something I did yesterday, which was um, taking a, a hike and the, the temperature dropped from 36 to 26. It was around dusk and I, I've gotten into this flow. It's, I guess, now an annual tradition of taking a particular hike um, at the very least without a shirt on, certainly wearing shoes because it's not realistic to go long distances without them in that temperature. Shorts or, or not fully decked out in pants, so very minimal in the legs. Gloves were there, hat was there, but the long and short is yesterday I felt the cold. I was out for about 45 minutes. I really felt it in a new way, a way that I, it was very humbling. I realized, shit, I am... I'm definitely not ready for a lot of things in the way that I thought I might be. So I wanted to talk about that, and we can some other time. Um, All-around movement in general in the broader context of how we relate to it here at Kuru, and I relate to it specifically, there were some questions I was thinking we'd explore, and it's cool that we didn't, and and they'll be for another time. And I guess that is a a preface to uh, the general point that I just feel inclined to reiterate, which is, um, yeah, I firmly believe, I've, I've accepted it as a belief that there's, the potential for humanity is extraordinary and we haven't maximized it. We barely, we have barely even scratched the surface of what we're possible, what's possible for us as a, as a species and as a, as a community of um, yeah, as a global community now, I, I think almost every moment really at this point in my life, except for when I intend, now even then, yeah, I, I, I allow myself to basically just focus on that sometimes less, but it's literally always there. I think that that is, it's fair to say at this point in my life that that kind of um, focus on the possibility for humanity as a global community is 
so exciting. That's what keeps me going. And I really do believe it. No matter what else, no matter what we're dealing with, I believe that the possibility is real. And that's what I'm all about. And with regard to my son, I hope that I, and children in general, and the people around me, yeah, I hope I am engaging in their growth and development with respect to that possibility in an a purely or uh, wonderfully enriching way. And uh, whenever whoever's listening to this, as you said, Griffin, maybe uh, 10 years from now, um, let me know how I'm doing. <laughs> I'll be open for uh, feedback. I'll be open and I'll be with you and we'll be, wh whoever you are, uh, let's regroup if we have, if we're not talking or engaged right now or whatever year it is, uh, let's regroup and let's, let's re, let's take a look at this again. Yeah. Our, our shared possibilities. Let's look at it again. That seems like a good place. I'll pause there. It's a good place. Cool, man. <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been Colin Kurtz on death.